of respect to where respect is due. And uh, we're going to preach a message today I've entitled, Sad But Not Strange. And uh, just a few verses as we continue the series through this great book of the Bible about a great man of God. Samuel was a prophet of God, greatly used of God. And uh, we're going to read really just the first five verses, and uh, and then we'll jump right into the message today. I do want to thank you again for, for being here. And it came to pass, verse 1, when Samuel was old, like some of us, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now remember, this is the time of the judges. So the time of the judges is the cycle of every man doing that which is right, finish it with me, in his own eyes. So when they did that, then God said, hey, you can't get away with that. Sin has a consequence. So he would chasten them, and then God would hear their cry or their regret. He would send a judge. That judge would preach the way of repentance, and then that cycle would start all over again after God delivered them, kind of like our cycle. Sometimes we do that also with the Lord and praise God for that he's so loving. Amen? So this is the time of the judges. They Many think now that Samuel is somewhere around 60 years old, and he's kind of looking to replace himself, and so he appoints his son judges over Israel. Now, the name of the first in verse 2 was Joel, and the name of his second was Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. Now, notice verse 3. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I lift it up today, and I ask for your blessing upon it. Lord, man cannot live by bread alone. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so as we read it today, I pray that you'd please bless it. I pray, God, that you'd help me to get out of your way that you would help me simply to be filled with the Spirit and that you would use me as your vessel, as your mouthpiece today. And I pray more than anything that you would bless your word in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you'd give your people understanding of your word. And then as we leave here, would you please give us wisdom that we may rightly apply it. And Lord, I pray that when the last amen is said, that people have been helped in their faith and that, Lord, we would take courage to live that faith when we leave these doors. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Being a parent, if we're all honest, is one of the most amazing experiences a husband and a wife can ever have in their lifetime. Watching them grow up, watching our kids grow up in certain phases of their life can be uh, so much fun. From learning to throw or catch uh, a football, shooting a basketball, jumping off a rock into the water is certainly fun to be a part of. And even though teaching them to drive a car can certainly be both expensive and hazardous, uh, it can be very fulfilling to see them take on responsibility in life and succeed at it. It is certainly a fulfilling opportunity. But as a father of 30 years, I will tell you that there is no greater joy as a dad than to hear and to know that your children know and desire to serve God. There just is no greater desire. As amazing as Samuel was... As a prophet of God, he never experienced that. Now think about that for a minute. If you have children that are saved, they love Jesus, they want to serve God with their life, understand that one of the most used men of God in the Bible never had the privilege that you have. Isn't that amazing? Sad. But it's really not strange. When you think about it, Samuel never got to experience that. His children would not walk with God. Now, we have reason to believe that Samuel's sons were appointed by Samuel as judges. 
not simply because they were his sons, but because they appeared outwardly to be trustworthy. It wasn't a position that you just got because you inherited it. He wasn't a high priest. But it was something that by the reputation that they had, at least outwardly, that they they were worthy of the position, so to speak. Not simply because they were his sons, but they appeared that way. And certainly they were respected for the good of their father's name. Well, these are, after all, Samuel's sons, right? So apparently, if you are raised in a good home and you have good parents, then certainly everything is wonderful. The marriage is great, the children are perfect, and there are no problems in the house of Samuel. Now, the problem with that is that there was, but nobody saw it. Someone said those that have the most grace themselves cannot give grace to their children. That's an amazing statement. Those of us that have grace cannot bestow that grace to their kids. In other words, they kind of have to get it on their own. They kind of have to be humble and love themselves. They kind of have to know the Lord individually. The Bible tells us their names were Joel and Abiah. Joel means Jehovah is my God. Abiah means Jehovah is my father. Now that tells me that You know, unlike us, we Google and say, what's the most popular name in whatever year our kids are born? And then we look at them and we go, okay, any, any, miny, that's the name we're going to pick or whatever. Or we do it after their father's sake. Hebrews were not like that. Jews would pick names that they want to mark their children by. So there's no doubt in my mind that when Samuel uh, and his wife decided to name them Joel and Abiah, that it was with a purpose. That they were going to raise them as best that they could in the culture that they had at the time. And so they named them. Jehovah is my God and Jehovah is my father. That's a pretty good mark to have when you go out into school. Because when you say my name is Joel, everybody who's Hebrew knows what that name means. When you say your name is Abiah, everybody knows, oh, wow, he must come from a Christian home. Can we say it like that? He must have a parent that really cares about his heart. Sadly, these two boys, regardless of their name, the Bible says, turned aside after Lucre. And took bribes and perverted judgment. Now, if you want to mark it down somewhere in your outline, the word lucre means profit. It means profit, but more specifically, it means an unjust profit through bribery. So here you have these judges. People are coming to their, to them to get their counsel, to try to decide a verdict or whatever. And they had come to the conclusion that it was lucrative to be in that job. It was lucrative for them. They saw an opportunity for profit where God was trying to use them for privilege. And they decided to turn aside, interesting words, turn aside. They decided that money was more important than pursuing God. They decided that self-aggrandizement was more important than the will of God. Uh, Their judgment was persuaded or perverted by money. Let's just say that out loud again. Their judgment or Their decision-making processes in life, including for their families, were perverted by money and the pursuit of it. To be clear, they were nothing like Samuel. And it's obvious. The Bible uses the term, they walked not in his ways. Sad, but certainly not strange, that there would be a father who would try to do right and try to live for God and try to do all that they could. But the children decided, you know what, I think I'd like to pursue a career this way. Or I'd like to follow the money trail, if you don't mind. I I want to profit myself. I don't want to live like dad and mom uh, mom, uh, mom lived. 
They didn't want to be like him. In all my years in ministry, I've watched parents' hearts break because of their children's choices in life. Some of them, much like Samuel, they did their best that they knew how to do as parents, raised them in a Christian home. They put them in a Bible-preaching church with Christian friends. And still, some of them decided to walk away. Sad, but it's not strange. Statistics, in fact, tell us today that more than 90% of today's teenagers will walk away from their parents' faith, never to return once they're out of the house. 90%. The new generation is fleeing, could we say it like Jeremiah said it, the old paths? They're walking away. 90% of the teenagers that are being raised in Christian homes today will not have a Christian home of their own when they grow up. Sad, but it's not strange. Seems to be normal. Truly, we would say those words. I suppose it's even more disheartening when a man of God watches his children turn to the world. I know my pastor growing up had two sons that were great examples of what not to be like. Maybe you grew up in a church like that where the pastor had the worst kids in the youth group. I, I remember specifically, and, and it always was a little puzzling to me. It wasn't until much later. It, it was puzzling to me because my pastor growing up was a great guy. He was amazing, just amazing personality. Great in the pulpit. But his kids were the worst kids in the church. And I thought, that just doesn't make sense. Miss Charlotte was our piano player and they were from Texas. Everybody from Texas is sweet and loving and has a great home. Their marriages are great. I mean, they don't have any problems, right, Chris? There's just no problems. By the way, Chris is a police officer in Austin. And, uh, and, and I, I want to say that because, you know, Austin is basically Southern California in Texas. If you can say it that way. And, and it's not easy living in that environment. And he knows what we go through here in California, right? Now think about this. A, a pastor from Texas with a wife who's an amazing woman. And, and to me, it was just a little puzzling. And then a few years later, I learned that he had put more effort into himself and his ministry than he did his family. And he loved and pursued other things rather than the most important things. And he lost both of his kids. If there was ever a modern-day Samuel in my life personally, it was my pastor when I grew up. And it saddened. It saddened me to think, man, these kids, because they were cool kids. I mean, cool kids. They just weren't good kids. In other words, if if some of you, and I know many of you, and I've known you for a long time, if you were in the presence of Todd and Chris, you would say to your kids, you're, you're not hanging out with the pastor's kids. Those are the kind of kids they were. Sad, but not strange. In fact, for a long time, parent, uh, PKs, as we call them, have always had... To contend with that label. Oh, you're a pastor's kid. You know, And m- many of you probably have had that said about pastor's kids. Hopefully not my kids, but <laughs> something like that. The label the pastor's kids, they're some of the worst kids in the church. Now, certainly, we don't know what happened to Samuel's home. We, we don't know. We really don't. It's all supposition. We don't know what happened in Samuel's case, but it doesn't hurt to ask the question, does it? I wonder what happened. It doesn't hurt to ponder the fact that we really don't know, but there are some possibilities. And if you'll allow me just for a minute, let's just consider the possibilities before we get to the outline. Perhaps Samuel wasn't a present father. Well, what do I mean by that? 
Well, the Bible does tell us a little later that Samuel went on his circuit preaching. That means that he would travel from city to city and he would preach and judge and preach and judge. So maybe he wasn't as uh, as present. He wasn't as he wasn't home as much as he possibly could have been. Can we say it that way? Um, he chose to be gone longer than he should have. All right. Now, and, and we don't know. Right. That's just we could say that that's a possibility. Right. I mean, he's, he's got spiritual responsibilities. So he wasn't present. Maybe he was present, but when he was, maybe he wasn't a purposeful father. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, maybe when Samuel was around, he wasn't mindful as much of his own children's spiritual needs as he was the nation of Israel's spiritual needs. He was more concerned about the nation than he was about his own family. Maybe that was why. The fact remains that he didn't know their heart. He didn't know that when they became judges, they were going to turn aside and go after lucre and take bribery to pervert judgment. He didn't know that at the time. If he did, do you think Samuel, a man of God, would have made his son judges? I don't think so. Maybe he wasn't purposeful. It's also possible that Samuel's life was simply out of balance and priorities. We all know that it is possible to pay attention to one thing to the neglect of something else. It's possible that he paid more attention to the gift that God had given him to preach and minister than he did the gift of his own children. And, and, and he was just out of balance. It doesn't mean that he was bad. It just means that he was out of balance. He, 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 he couldn't juggle it as well as he thought he could. Could we say it that way? He thought he could do more one way or the other and to the neglect of something else, and he was just out of balance. We don't know that. Perhaps. Perhaps, the, and the last possibility, I suppose, is the problem of a bad influence on the boys. Now, I say that because the Bible says that they turned aside. The, the Hebrew word there means to make wide, but it also means to decline in a way. Now, it says to turn aside. We don't know anything for sure. We don't know when they turned aside, but they were turned. And there is, if you think about it, a possibility they were turned by someone. There's always that possibility. The reason I say that is because Proverbs thirteen twenty says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 7, Ye did run well, who did hinder you? Now, that's a possibility. Again, I don't know for sure what happened, but what I do know factually from Scripture, hopefully you'll agree, is that Samuel was a man of God, was trying to do God's work, and his sons did not walk in his ways. His sons decided, I want to go after money. I want to pursue money. I, I want I want to better myself, and so I'm going to use my position for my privilege, not principle. For those of us who still have some children to prepare for their life in God's will, I'd like to try to help and encourage you this morning, and myself included. I, I'd like to remind all of us that even though the narrative of our society is being written by people who are obviously enemies of God, and even though our culture is doing its best to march by the drumbeat of Satan himself, it is still possible to raise children who will stand up, stand up for Jesus Christ. It is still possible. You say, how is it possible? Well, Noah did it, and if Noah could do it, you and I could do it. Noah did it, Amram and Jochebed did it. And they raised a godly man named Moses. And Moses was used of God in a great way. By the way, if Daniel's parents did it, hello... If Daniel's parents did it in a time of exile and a teenager would be the only one willing to pray when the government said you can't pray 
if then Daniel's parents get all the credit for that. Because when he left home, he was a teenager and he lived to be an old age in his entire life because they trained up a child in the way that he should go. When he was old, he didn't depart from it. Somebody say amen for Daniel's parents. Daniel's parents can do it. If David's parents could do it, then you and I can do it. At the least today, I believe every parent in here could bow a knee before God and say, Lord, I want to be a better parent. We could say before God humbly, God, I don't want to lose. I don't want to lose any of my kids. I don't want one. I don't care how many you have. I don't want one of my three, one of my five, one of my 12. I don't want one kid, Lord, to lose their way with God. I don't want to lose one to the devil. At least I think we could agree today to say, God, I want to be a better parent who loves the Lord and helping my children to love you more and to serve you more. It was Samuel, remember, that said in 1 Samuel 12, 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things God had done for you. Here's a man that though he did lose his children, was still staying faithful to God because at some point he realized, look, they became adults. They made their they made their decisions. I'm not going to base my faith on my children's lack of it. Amen. I'm going to stay faithful. And so in light of that, in light of the day, in light of our text, I'd like to suggest several biblical encouragements this morning at the least to try to encourage us as parents. Now, there's four points on your outline. I'm not preaching all four. I can't. Not with an introduction that long. So I'm going to preach one. And all God's people said, Amen. Yeah, you didn't have to say it so confidently, okay? You could, you could be like, no, Pastor, we want you to preach for two hours, please. But we won't do that today. So I'm just going to preach point one, but I'm going to do my best to try to help us as parents. How many would agree that even as parents, no matter what stage in parenting you are, we could all be better parents, okay? And to do that, by the way, we have to confess that we need God's help. How many would say that today? All right, now if that's the case, let's just use that as a baseline. And let's go into this first point, all right? So I want to give you the first biblical encouragement. That means that next Sunday I'll finish the message, Lord willing, and uh, we'll be, be able to go on, all right? Now, so now, first of all, what's, what's the biggest way? So if we take all the possibilities of what could have happened, what is, based on the assumptions that we talked about, what's one thing, just one thing that we can ask God to improve on today? It is, number one, we need to set a right example for our kids. No matter how you look at it, that, that's where you have to start as a parent. What kind of Christian adult do you want your children to grow up to be like? If you're a goal person, and I believe in them, I'm not really good at it, but if, if, you're, a, if you're goal-oriented, you should be thinking, okay, where's the mark on the target that I want to set? What kind of a Christian do I, want my, do I want my children to be when they leave my care? By the way, you only have 18 short years to do it in. If they stick around for a little bit of college, maybe a few more, but at the end of 20 years or so, you don't get that influence anymore. It's going to be from a distance. So at the end of my children's tenure with me and my wife, what kind of a Christian do I want them to be? Now, if that's the goal, how do I get there? All right. What what kind of Christian do I want them to be? I'm afraid we try harder to point them to a specific political party or a social platform than we try to shape their hearts for God. And we have successfully turned a political agenda into equal uh, importance than the living word of God. God help us. Because if the heart is right, the feet will walk right. Right? If, if I can get the heart 
of my child to see their need in Christ and their desire and the blessing of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love others like yourself, then they'll get it. And if I don't do that, man, where are they going to go? What's left for them? What's left for the generations to follow? I've got to I've got to help them. Proverbs 411. I've taught thee. David said I have a Solomon said of David. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom verbal. I have led thee in the right paths. Now, I've preached multiple messages out of that in the last 17 years, just that one verse. But it's powerful. You see, it's more than this is what I want you to do because I'm saying it's I want you to follow me because I'm walking in the right path. Everybody tracking with me today? I've led thee in the right path. That's the idea. When you think of being the right kind of example for your children, I think it should go without saying that they need a Christian example. A distinct Christian example. How do Christians respond to critics? Do they know that? How do Christians respond uh, to trials or tragedy? Um, how do Christians respond when the world's in chaos? How, does the, how, do, how do Christians react when other Christians walk away? They're, where are they going to learn that? If they don't learn it at home, do you really want them to learn it from Samuel's kids that are out there? Do you want them to learn it from somebody else's kids? Because that's where they're going to go to. Or do you want them to have a baseline of what an example is from you? How do Christians react when all of those things happen? Let me suggest a few things as far as the right example of. First of all, I think they need to see an example of faith. Faith. Faith is taking God at his word and obeying it. It's 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 accepting what God has said. Children need to see parents who live the Christian faith, not just talk about the Christian faith. They need to see faith in action. Faith without works is dead being alone. First Corinthians 11, 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. As a parent follows Christ, it should be that the children want to follow the parent. Right now, again, we don't know where the disconnect is with Samuel. We're no longer talking about Samuel. We're talking about our own disconnect. If I am going a path, is it the path that God wants me to go in? If I'm saying things this way, are my feet saying the same things? You understand what I'm saying? They used to be said that your talk talks and your walk talks. And your walk always talks louder than your talk talks. Your example is far more powerful. If you've been born again, then you know that your life is different. It's different than every other life in the world because you're a child of God. Yours, according to the Bible, is a life of faith. It's to be light in the darkness. The Christian life is to be a pattern of faith. And our children need to see that pattern so they can follow the same pattern. Titus chapter 2 and verse 7. And all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. You see, the Bible is replete. If you're going to live a certain way and you're going to stand for truth and you're going to live for Jesus Christ, the people are contrary to that are not going to have anything to say about you. Or at the least, what they say is not going to be true because they know who you stand for. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, well, how do children find the perfect will of God if mom and dad can't find the perfect will of God? You see what I'm saying? We, we have done enough disservice to our country, to our culture, by not giving our children the right examples. And if we want them to walk in our ways, we've got to give them a good reason to do it. One of the reasons so many young people walk away from their parents' faith is because they either don't see it or what faith they do see isn't very effective. That's sad. So they need to see an example of faith. Secondly, they need to see, in my opinion, an example of fatherhood, or you could say an example of parenting. All right? Ephesians 6 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's every parent's life verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All right? It goes on. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. So, when I father my children, I am trying, I'm basically giving them a pattern to follow. All right? Whether they're going to be a mom or a dad. Um, my mom was a humongous sower. Um, not sure that my brother and sister ever appreciated it very much, but my my mom for the longest time made every dress that my uh, sister wore, and uh, some that my sister probably wished she didn't have to wear. But nevertheless, I remember going into uh, my mom's room or my sister's room, and my mom would have that big piece of fold-out cardboard thingy bob that had all the numbers and squares on it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you that sew. And then she would open up, she'd go to Penny's and she'd find a pattern. She'd oh, this looks nice. And she'd buy the pattern. And then she'd come home and she would take that pattern and then get that little wheelie bob thing that has the little notches on it. And she'd score the whole thing and then she'd cut it all out. And then, then she'd take the cloth and then she would have to cut, you know, she'd pin it and do all that stuff. And then she'd sit down. She was never more happier than she was at her sewing machine. She'd do this pattern. And what's she doing? She's taking a pattern of something that she knew what it looked like, and she was fashioning it to be exactly like that. Okay? That pattern is what she would give to my sister and say, there you go, I made you a dress. Now, I want, I want to see what it looks like on you. Now, let me ask you a question. When your children put on the Christianity that they've seen, what's it going to look like? When they put on the pattern of parenting that they get from their mom and dad, what's it going to look like? Now, granted, when I do premarital counseling, I ask, I, I ask young couples, look, I want you to give me two or three things from your parents' marriage that you want and two or three things from your parents' marriage that you don't want. Okay? The most encouraging times I ever have is when people struggle to find something negative to say about their mom and dad's marriage. It's really amazing. Some of the saddest is when that category outweighs the other. All right? Nevertheless, they're going to learn, aren't they? They're going to have a pattern. Well, I want my kids to be a better dad than me. I want my kids to be better at parenting. But they have to be shown, if, if anything, you know, my, my wife and I didn't have the greatest of examples in a lot of ways. But I would hope and pray to God that by his grace, my children have had a better example than we had. And I know for a fact that my children are giving a better pattern and example than we have been. 
And for me, that's a win. But I have to at least be willing to try. I want to give them that pattern. Making biblical decisions from your family is important. Putting a Bible verse to the what, why, when, and how long helps your children know what it takes to be a parent who's following the Lord. And one day they may have the privilege of parenting a child and your pattern, your example, will be the one that they look to. Being a good father, by the way, is more than being a strict father. I've learned that the hard way. I believe being a good father requires loving like our Heavenly Father, knowing when it's more beneficial to show mercy than justice. Knowing when it's better to be compassionate than to be indifferent. Or when it's better to chasten. You see, in every case, parenting begins and ends like God's parent parenting does to us in love. One of my mentors who's now in heaven said to me one day that my children will know about God's love from the love that I show them as a father. And how I treat them in every circumstance. Even now as I make this statement, I'm convicted to the core. Because I know that what they saw sometimes wasn't God's love. And so I have to go back and say, you know, I, I haven't been a good example of God's love. But what I want you to do is love God. And I don't want them to have to love him in spite of me. I want my kids to love God in light of me. And so... I have to make that decision every day. God, I want to parent like you do. Now look, does that mean that God expects perfection? No. God doesn't expect perfection. But he does look for the right heart. He does look for a heart that says, man, I can deal with someone contrite and broken. I can't deal with a proud look. I can't deal with that. I can't deal with someone who's stiff-necked. But I can deal with someone who's willing to admit they were wrong and they have a desire to do right. What do you get when you do that? Grace. And that's what we all decided we needed at the beginning of the service. Grace. I need grace. Is there, if there's one thing that I'm trying desperately to learn, it is that leading cannot be biblical without love. And that's the hardest thing is the dead. By the way, I will give you a few Bible verses in case you were wondering. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. What did He do? He led by love. Romans 5 and verse 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Titus 3 and verse 4, But after that the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. 1 John 4, 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Do you understand this morning that every way that God deals with you and I is always, first and foremost, through his love? And praise God for that. That he does deal with us that way. If we're really going to affect long-term change in this country and in our society, we need to get our homes in order. And that begins with the love of God affecting our love for others. And by the way, that passes to every generation. That love that God, the Bible says, is shed about in our heart by the Holy Ghost of God. As that love takes effect in our life, it affects our marriage, it affects our children. And guess what? Should God bless them with children, it's going to affect those children. That's something that makes a real difference, is the example of parenting. Thirdly, and I'm done, I think they need an example of servanthood. I think you'll agree with me, whether you go to Target, whether you go to Walmart, whether you go anywhere in and out. By the way, in and out is paying eighteen fifty for starting positions. 
Is that in, that's just insanity to me. It, I'd like to have. <laughs> I'm seeking my first job for a minimum wage. What is that wage? Eighteen fifty. I can make a career of this. <laughs> We're, isn't it fantastic? I, I I don't know about you. In Southern California, my first job was at Kmart. Kmart. Some of you don't even know what that is. K what? Kmart. It was before Walmart, or at least the California version of Walmart. The blue light is now in whatever section. You can, you would stroke. People like bugs. Blue light, blue light. I need to go to the blue light. Spend money, spend money. My favorite part of Kmart was the deli section because they had the canned ham, right? The nasty stuff with the gelatinous mess that it came in. Shave it off and give you, yeah, give you a ham sandwich right there in the place. Where was I starting? Oh, yeah, was I? I got lost in the blue light. <laughs> I said, what's the starting wage? She said $3.20 an hour. I said, okay. And that, that was a big deal, 3 bucks and 20 cents. And then, like, shortly after that, like, months after that, she came in, uh, I came into the office, and uh, her name was Mary. And she said, guess what? You're getting a raise. I said, really? Yeah. She said, minimum wage has just gone up, three thirty-five an hour. I said, I just made 15 cents an hour to ching. And, 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 and now look, 18 bucks an hour. By the way, your in and out that you're going to get today is going to cost you 15 bucks a hamburger, but nobody's saying anything about that, right? Because we're still going there. I don't care what it is. I just want that, right? That's the minimum wage. The minimum wage. Now, anywhere you go where they're getting 18 bucks an hour, maybe not in and out's not a good one, but you go someplace, Target or wherever, they just don't seem to have a servant's heart, do they? It's like if you, sometimes I feel like you go to Walmart to buy something, you're interrupting their stocking. You know what I mean? Stocking used to happen like between the hours of 11 at night and like 4 in the morning when there was nobody there. Now they don't care that you're there. We're stocking right here. You can't get to this because I'm working on this aisle. And my pallet's taking up four. The intersection of milk and eggs has like 18 pallets in it. And I just need milk. I just want milk. Right? And if you ask them to help you while they're busy doing their stocking, it's almost like you've interrupted their uh, their, their retirement plan. I, I, I Can I help? They look at you. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to interrupt. They just don't have that. Can I help you? I mean, one of the first things they taught me at Kmart was if anybody asks for help or they look lost, go to them and say, can I help you find something? You know, kind of like when you go to Johnson's Ace Hardware over there. You don't have that at Home Depot. Home Depot is the lost cavern of, of hardware. You go there and you walk around for hours. I don't even know why I'm here. Right. You go to Johnson's Hardware. And they're like, as soon as you walk in, can we help you find something? Or And you're like, yes, you can find. Here's my list. Just I'll follow you around. It's like they want to help and serve. And, and that's what's missing in our culture. They just don't want to serve. Some people raise polite children for the sake of having polite kids. Or for the sake of social graces to save face. But raising a child to have a servant's heart goes way, way farther. Do your children see that heart in you? Because the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, in fact, turn there if you will, Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. We're talking about setting an example, giving a pattern. If I want a certain way of life for my kids when they leave home, it's important, or a certain heart, it's important that they see that heart. Maybe I should 
maybe I should say it this way. If you want the trash taken out without complaining, or the bed made without complaining, or your bed made for you without complaining, or if you just like their homework to be done, or whatever, you make up the rules, you're the parent, right? That's the beauty about being a parent. <laughs> I own the rule book now. If you want that stuff done with the right way, then just show them what a servant's heart looks like. And then teach them that the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, you can read it with me, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Look up here, which by the way, social media drives down the throat of your children. You have to have this kind of reputation. And I guarantee you what they're getting from social media is not the heart and mind of Christ. He said, I don't want a reputation. I am God in the flesh, but I'm not going to expect anybody to treat me like that. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What a heart. A businessman once asked his Bible study group, how can you tell if you have a servant attitude? There was a pause. Someone replied, and I quote, by the way you react, by the way you react when you're treated like one. When they treat you like a servant and you react right, that's how you know you have a servant attitude. It's not easy, by the way, to find that attitude. But for a disciple, servanthood is one of the keys to growing in Christ likeness. Apparently, describing his own ministry, Jesus, did he not say, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister? And to give us life a ransom for many, when we give Jesus Christ his rightful place as Lord in our lives, his lordship then is expressed in the way that we serve others. Let this mind, which was in Jesus, be in you. So one of the best ways we demonstrate our love for God is by showing love for others, listen, in spite of differences, in spite of personalities. If we can lay all that aside and through the love of Almighty God serve, then we've given the right example. Because Jesus gave it first. We demonstrate love for others by helping them, by sharing in their burdens and problems, and by doing what we can for them. Second Corinthians 4 and verse 5, Paul said, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Another way of displaying servanthood is, by the way, in the way we witness. Now, we don't see it. We've been trained now for the last, oh, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years. We've been trained as Christians that being a witness or telling someone about Christ is not serving them. But really, what is serving? Serving is seeing the need of someone else and doing your best to meet that need. I would submit today that the greatest need in our country is for people to be saved. The greatest need for people is the truth that Jesus Christ died for them because he loves them, that he rose again from the, on the third day. He's alive at the right hand of God. One day he's coming back, and the only way to get to heaven is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ by grace through faith alone. Now, what I just said in less than 30 seconds is the greatest need. So the greatest service I can ever be to people is sharing in that need. And giving them the truth. Well, they may not like me. That's okay. They crucified my Savior because of it. So I think that puts me in pretty good company. That's okay. They stoned Paul and left him for dead. They, 
They beat him many times over with rods. Uh, with rods. They striped him several times over because he saw the need was great and he was willing to talk about it. He was the one that said, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself, listen, servant unto all that I might gain the more. Did you hear it? I have made myself a slave to everybody. I'm not obligated to anybody, but I've made myself a servant to all. Why does he say that? He says that I might gain the more. What does that mean? That I might win them. That I might see fruit of the labor of love that God put in my heart. Paul knew that he would win more friends by being a servant than anything else. Although he was free from all men, he voluntarily decided to serve those he wanted to influence for Christ. And he did it for Christ's sake. Ephesians chapter 6, it's not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men. You see, we live on this plane. God says, you're not of this plane. You're of that plane. So don't live like you're here. Live like you're there. Your citizenship is in heaven. We're strangers here. My challenge then to every believer this morning is this. Let's make sure that the footprints we're leaving behind for our children to follow are on the right path. Let's give them something worth following. A few days ago, my kids and I were walking along the beach and my daughter said to me, uh, I'm just going to walk in your footsteps because the sand is really squishy, which means that I'm so of the size that I am that wherever I was, apparently I was making a sidewalk in the sand and I was kind of like a human steamroller and that was a much better path. Anyways, I wasn't offended for very long, but she did say that, you know, she was going to follow my, then a minute later after she said that, she said this question to me, dad, why do you walk so weird? Remember this, Jenna? Do you remember? I told you I'd get you back. Well, I began to make all kinds of excuses. The, the, the beach was like this. I said, well, the ground's not level, and it was throwing off my gait, so I probably looked like a you know, one-legged duck or something. And, and, and I was carrying a lot of different things. I, 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 was, carrying the, I was the pack mule to go down the, the beach. <laughs> let, let me say it this way. Circumstances were influencing my footsteps, and they were making them hard for her to follow. The path that I was on was unlevel. The things that I were, was carrying made it cumbersome. And so it changed my gait. So seemingly every footstep was different. There wasn't a contiguous pattern. I'll close with this. How's your walk with God this morning? Are you walking on solid ground? Are you walking on level ground? Are there external circumstances in your life that are affecting how others see your Christian walk? I mean, it was it was kind of interesting because I think I have a pretty good gait. And for her to say, Dad, why do you walk so weird was kind of hurtful and appalling. But I, I'm telling you, as God is my witness, I didn't think about it at the time. I'm not that smart. But as I was preparing this message, God immediately brought that to my mind. And said, look, there it is. How you walk is going to be how they walk. So you better be walking right. You better be on that old path. Because like it or not, our kids are following right behind us. And they need a good example. We're losing too many kids. It's sad. But it's certainly not strange. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
I want to thank you for, Lord, this sad light on Samuel's life. And I, and I say that knowing and believing in my heart. I, I believe that Samuel did the best that he could with what he had. And, and Lord, we don't know the circumstances. We don't. Now, thankfully, we know our circumstances. Thankfully, we know if we're doing things the best that we could be doing them. We know if we're not. We know the influences on our family. We know the circumstances that surround the decisions that we make. Lord, we, we don't have to wonder about that. And, and that's the beauty of your truth. Now, God, I pray today that all of us as Christians would examine our walk with you and our faith, our parenting, our heart for Christ as servants. And Lord, I pray that it would affect us greatly. With heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to talk to you just for a moment, and I want to ask you, would you be willing today to spend some time with the Lord and, and just ask Him? Ask Him. Lord, can I do something better? Lord, am I doing something wrong? H- how is my walk with You? And how the Lord leads in your heart, would you be willing to do business with Him? I, I'm also going to ask you as a parent, doesn't matter what stage your kids are in, they could be grown and out of the house, they could be at home, they could be in diapers. But I wonder as a parent this morning, we're going to stand here in a moment, and I wonder if you'd like to just come here to the front of the auditorium, take a knee and just say something from your heart to the Lord in this room. Lord, I want to be a better dad. I would challenge every father should be here at the altar. But maybe you want to come with your wife. Maybe today is a great day, the middle of the year, to push the reset button and say, God, we just want to rededicate ourselves and our children to you and for your glory. I want to be a better parent. I want to be, we want to have a family that is honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want my children to turn out for your glory and for your will, not ours. And I wonder if, if we could just ask the Holy Spirit to do a work here this morning in us. Um, let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'll pray. If you feel led to come to the altar, I want you to come. And then I'll, whoever's up here, I'll be glad to pray with you just audibly and ask the Lord to dedicate our homes. So l- let's just pray here this morning and ask the Lord to work. Father, I want to commit this invitation to you. In fact, Lord, this entire service. And I just, I want to ask that you'd use it. Lord, I want to invite Christians to make decisions. I think it's biblical. I think it's right. Lord, I, I, I want to be a better dad. I know my wife and I, e- even in recent days, have just, just we just want to be faithful. And, and Lord, I, I think that's the heart of every parent in here. And Lord, we need your help. I pray that the decisions we make today would be right decisions. I pray that you'd bless this invitation. Lord, the hearts of those that you've touched, hearts of, uh, of even the kids that are in this building. God, it's not easy parenting. It just isn't. Any way you cut it, it's not easy. Lord, it's certainly not complicated. So help us to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we've been called with all lowliness and meekness, endeavoring to keep the spirit of the unity in the bond of peace and please work. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if God's touched your heart and you feel like you need to come to this altar today, wouldn't you just step out? Dads, moms, it doesn't matter. You may not even have any kids. You may, you may be just, uh, they may be already grown and gone and now you're in a different role. God's touched your heart. It's time to just say, okay, Lord, this is it. I, I, don't, I don't want to waste any more time. You may be a grandparent. You may have grandchildren. And now you're, you're, you're the only living example in your family line because 
perhaps you have children that are not walking with God. Whatever that decision is, would you would you come today to make it? Would you? Nobody here but you. It's your decision. It's your family. Before God, 